Hi, my name is Irina Kremin, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Blue Beauty Series, hosted by Jeannie Jarnot, the founder and CEO of Beauty Heroes. In this podcast series, we interview a beauty and wellness brand's founders, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to talk about the future of beauty and how to build businesses that leave our planet better and bluer. From zero-waste packaging to regenerative practices, you will discover why materials matter, how to make philanthropy the foundation of a profitable business model, and which innovative brands are leading the Blue Beauty Revolution. Yes, thank you, Irina. And um, Krupa, thank you for your time today and for sharing your expertise and your knowledge. Uh, Let's just start by uh, telling everyone a little bit about your background. You come, you form, you know, and what products you formulate. You're a formulator. I've spoken to you about several subjects and topics, um, and you have a background in biology. So why don't you share a little bit with the audience so we can just um, tune into that? Yeah, so I'll try to keep it um, short. Uh, but yes, I do have a biology and background. So I have my master's and my uh, undergrad in biology, and I wanted to be a genetic engineer. So I have a good like biotechnology background. Uh, cosmetics isn't really what I would used to consider as a career option. But then um, I landed an internship at Estee Lauder, and uh, my career took off uh, from there. Um, so I have been in the cosmetic sector for about 12 years now. And um, uh, for most of that time, I have been focusing in on natural and organic products. Uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, formulating to standards, uh, certification, different kinds of certification standards and no green beauty very intimately, even before clean beauty existed. Um, so yeah, I've been in the space. I formulate different kinds of products. I do a lot of skincare, hair care, uh, baby care, body care, uh, sun care, um, and lots of other stuff. I do do a little bit of makeup, but not as much. Great. That was my second question. So you already answered it. So we're being super efficient with our time today. What kinds of um, products do you formulate? What do you, do you actually formulate? So when you're formulating, so let's go through these categories of ingredients and break it down a little bit there. You know, I don't know what everybody's knowledge is about these ingredients, but um, silicones, acrylates, petroleum-based ingredients, and then you wanted to talk about polyquaternium compounds today. So if you can just kind of go through those a little bit slowly, one by one, you know, what are the concerns with them for the environment? What are the concerns uh, with them? You know, how can they harm the environment? You and I, we've spoken quite a bit about it. Um, and introducing them through to our environment, through our products going, you know, with everything gets washed down the drain at some point. Um, and what is the potential for, uh, you know, what happens to those ingredients when they, when they do go down the drain? Yeah. So, um, that is a big question. So I'll, I'll answer. Um, I, I'll first talk about silicones, right? Silicones have been around for a while. Um, and they are man-made ingredients that are not found um, in nature. Um, and they are bio, they bioaccumulate, they are not biodegradable. Um, so they are persistent in the environment. 
most of the bio, most of the silicones, uh, linear silicones, uh, end up in sewage sludge or, you know, get removed by the water treatment plants. Um, however, some of the cyclic silicones, when they end up in the water, are very uh, toxic to fish, um, fish and crustaceans, and um, definitely concerning. Um, even even more than that, because they are bioaccumulative, you know that you are going to get exposed to these at some point, right? Um, because of the marine life, because of the water uh, sources. And what's concerning is some of the cyclic species or the, some of the sp- cyclic silicones like cyclomethicone or D4 um, are very, very, are, have been proven in several studies that they are um, neurotoxic and they also cause reproductive toxicity. Um, there's also one study that um, EPA has talked about a lot. And um, this study talks about how linear silicones like dimethicone uh, convert into cyclic um, silicones that are more concerning um, in neutral soil. Uh, they go through hydro- hydrolysis and may convert into something that is more harmful than a linear silicone. So definitely, I have not formulated with silicones. I don't want to formulate with silicones. I hope I can keep away from silicones for you know the rest of my career. Um, and silicones are usually used in cosmetics uh, for like film forming abilities or their feel on the skin for their unique you know properties. Um, and all of these properties can be achieved now using several gums or several like silicone alternatives. There's a lot of um, raw material suppliers like Inalex that um, that have come up with silicone alternatives um, that are really good and environmentally friendly and um, more biodegradable than silicones. And, and, you know, I don't think that there's enough reason now to keep using silicones in our products. But they're very prevalent if you go. They're still extremely prevalent in, when you, you know, look at ingredient lists. Yes, they're very prevalent. And I know that there's like, there's people who, who talk about how silicones are harmless and to some degree, they are right. Um, some silicones, like linear silicones, are harmless because they have not been proven um, unsafe. So apparently they're harmless, but at the same time, they have not been proven safe either. So I think, you know, there's there's this balancing act there, but um, I think that there just, there just needs to be a little bit more research um, when it comes to how safe they are um, environmentally. Great. And... Um... I'm just going to, you know, I think one of the, you know, what, what, why this topic interests me about four years ago, uh, beauty heroes decided to actually stop carrying products with silicones and acrylates and petroleum based ingredients. And, and I'm just, I'm sidetracking just for a moment because I think the, the, our rationale was right. We don't know what effect this has you know, going into our water, going into the soil, into um, out in the world. And as a biologist, I think that's kind of like the thought process, right? If you're, if we don't know what happens when these ingredients are introduced into the environment, it seems like, you know, we don't want to be drinking silicones or watering our plants with silicones, probably, um, maybe we don't have definitive studies saying that it's going to hurt anybody, 
but it's probably a better scenario to hold back on that as a biologist would that, I mean, would you, I, I think that's sort of like the common sense approach that we took understanding that these are bioaccumulative and not really knowing for sure that there are studies that they are, you know, that they are harmful, but we thought, you know, we don't really need them. Maybe we should make a decision not to, to, to pull back on introducing them into the environment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I have I have adopted that philosophy while formulating that if there's not enough evidence that something is safe for use, um, the burden of proof lies with proving the safety of the ingredient first and, and um, you know, going uh, the prevention route when it comes to scientific, um, uh, scientific uncertainty. So I think that I think that that is the same case with like, um, silicones or even something like chemical sunscreens, which are, you know, I know we're going to talk about petroleum derived ingredients later, but same thing. Um, we don't know even after, I mean, the FDA came out recently with calling them um, marketed unapproved drugs, uh, right? And they're classifying them as, as marketed unapproved drugs. And after 60 years of use, they are saying that they, there's not enough evidence that they are safe but they're not saying that they are not safe. They are just not safe. You know, they're not like banning them. They are approved for use, uh, yet they are not safe. So I, I think that it's just, you know, we've like overall- Very confusing for consumers. I think it's that- It's confusing, I, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. 100% confusing for, for consumers, especially when they don't understand some of the uh, scientific rationale be- behind like approving or not approving an ingredient. Like, you know, a, a normal consumer would think if this something is approved by the FDA, it's fine to use. Um, yet 60 years into it, we're saying, well, hold on, we're not sure. So, you know, yes, confusing. Okay, let's go to, so we talked a little bit about silicones, acrylates. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, there's um, acrylates are very much, you know, uh, I put them in the same category as silicones. There's not enough data um, there as well. But with acrylates, the reason why there's not enough data is because of their size. So acrylates have a bigger molecular size. So because of this bigger molecular size, they've always been um, almost kind of they, they've they've gotten away without any um, without registration in the EU like reach doesn't um, worry about acrylates uh, yet there are certain kinds of acrylates like meth acrylates and ethyl acrylate that are that have shown uh, time and time again shown a lot of a um, lot of studies around their health effects right they're they are classified as carcinogens some of them uh, with the EPA um, and uh, the IARC and so I, I just think that we've not studied acrylates enough to say um, there's also not enough studies with regards to their environmental toxicity, uh, yet they are not as biodegradable because of, their, because of their molecular size. And so we just need more studies. We just need more research um, to understand the potential harm or uh, the safety of these ingredients. Great. And then the big class of petroleum-based ingredients. Can you, you know, quickly sort of try to try to orient uh, all of us on this large category and some of the issues? 
Yeah. Um, so definitely, like, there's so petroleum-based ingredients is really big category, right? And even though something might not be petroleum-derived, um, petroleum might be used in the production of it. And that in itself is not sustainable, right? Petroleum is non-renewable source and it's not sustainable. Um, there are certain classes of uh, ingredients that I did want to address, like chemical sunscreens, for example, or polyquats, um, like quaternium-15, that have been proven um, to be uh, toxic to aquatic life, um, crustaceans and mollusks. And there's a, so many studies that have been done around, around these, yet companies keep using these ingredients as uh, preservatives or as um, mostly as preservatives. There, there's enough preservatives available nowadays that we don't need these ingredients. So I really hope that, you know, uh, with retailers like yourself and, you know, Credo and some of these good, some of these really, um, uh, you know, industry changing uh, uh, retailers pushing people to go towards uh, preservatives that are not formaldehyde releasers or uh, preservatives that are not necessarily, they are just not relevant anymore, especially looking at the studies that talk about um, endocrine disruption um, and like the human health effect at the same time, you know, aquatic life disruption. So definitely want to talk about them. And um, yeah, I can go on, but... (laughs) Yeah. Are there any ingredients that maybe are sneaky? Like you might not know, it doesn't sound like a petroleum based ingredient, or it doesn't sound like something that could be, um, you know, harmful, but maybe is like, it's kind of this ingredient that not everybody knows what it is or how it's derived or how it's processed. Um, Let's see. Ethyl alcohol. I think not many people know that it's actually petroleum derived. Um, and then urea is a big one. Uh, urea is a petroleum derived ingredient and it has so many studies around aquatic toxicity, um, which not many people uh, know of. Um, is there another name on an inky list for urea? Because I haven't seen that on, a, on an ingredient list. I think the brands that you carry probably don't have that, but the bigger brands. I'm looking at a lot. We have a lot of brands pitching us. So we're looking at ingredient lists all day because there's brands that are sending into beauty heroes and I've never, you know, so I'm looking at ingredient lists and, you know, I scan them really, you know, that's the first thing that we look at because we can't have a conversation with a brand if it's got an ingredient that we don't um, support at beauty heroes. So we have to kind of look at it and say, okay, we, are we even interested in this brand? We have to look at the ingredient list first. And so I'm looking at a lot of ingredient lists and urea is never bit. I've never seen that on an ingredient list. So does it have a different name on an inky list? Um, it could. It has diaz- diazonyl um, urea or urea itself, but those are two different ingredients, but both are uh, concerning. Um, and there's also ingredients like isodorocaine that is like very prevalent um, in lip products um, and in hair care products that are also petroleum derived. Um, so something to look at. 
um, what else? Phenoxyethanol uh, is a big one. But I know that you guys already scan for that. So that's great. Beauty Hero does. Beauty Heroes does uh, scan for it. So that's a petroleum derived ingredient. Yes. And it's an ethoxylated ingredient too. Um, So there's, you know, and there's also studies um, for aquatic toxicity on that really um, uh, well uh, received studies too um, that are, and I think I told you, uh, Jenny, I shared about the Palau banning uh, phenoxyethanol from their uh, list uh, along with some of the organic sunscreens too uh, because of that. Uh, because of their, um, you know, aquatic toxicity studies. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so it, the question is, you know, if these ingredients are harmful to the environment and we are starting to get more awareness around this, why are companies continuing to formulate with them? And, you know, the answer kind of that I always give is because they're easily accessible. They're effective at what they do, right? They, they're they actually really good at what they do in a formula, uh, many of them. Um, and they're inexpensive. They're uh, less expensive. Like you actually probably when you're putting together a formula, you really look not only, you know, you're trying to make the formula work right and accomplish its job but you also have to consider the cost of the ingredients and you know what that, how that's going to affect the final cost of the product. So can you maybe share a little bit of, of that? Yeah. They lauder and, you know, or, you know, and probably, you know, have worked with, you know, many, many, many clients, uh, big and small. And so I'd love to just hear about that from you. Yeah, definitely. So you are hundred percent, right. Um, Cost is a major factor um, when developing products because you can't uh, you can't replace silicone with something that costs four times as much as silicone. It's you know that's why can't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I just feel like our brands well, do that all the time, right? They're they're formulating products that are so much more expensive. Exactly, okay. but but I think that brands um, it also it also comes back to the consumer. How much is a consumer ready to pay? How much premium are they ready to pay for a product that is cleaner? Um, I have not heard of a sixty dollar conditioner or a ninety dollar shampoo uh, that consumers have received. Well, so definitely, like there's you know you have to be as a brand um, and as a product formulator, you have to formulate products that are clean, but at the same time, you have to make sure that they are accessible. Um, so that's, that has always been a challenge. Things are much better now than they were 10 years ago. When I first started in the industry, there was hardly like maybe I want to say like 50 chemicals or 50 like surfactants, 50 alternatives that we could go to, uh, to replace some of these ingredients. Um, now there's a slew of them. There's so many of them. And, and thanks to retailers like yourself like it, it you guys have pushed the industry consumers have asked so many questions from brand owners that that there has been demand um to uh, you know put money into research uh, researching better ingredients and so um i've seen it happen it, it, there's so many alternatives now compared to before and not always cost prohibitive but definitely 
um, the, the, you know, non, um, the, the silicones and the acrylates and the uh, quartz are much more accessible uh, than the other versions, than the sustainable versions. So we hope that changes. Are you seeing um, that clients coming to you for formulas, clients from all different sort of, uh, you know, I guess, visions for their brand or for their product are more interested in products that are environmentally sensitive. And I think, you know, kind of the ultimate hope for this conversation for me is that, um, and for all of these Blue Beauty conversations is really that, that people are inspired to do the right thing, to do the right thing because they actually care as humans, right? Like you're starting a brand, you have a vision for a brand, you want to bring something really cool to the world. And you come and you say, hey, I want to make sure my products are really environmentally safe because I don't want to put something in the world that isn't. Um, Are you seeing that kind of interest or are you seeing something that's slightly different. Like I want to be able to market my, my product as sort of an environmentally friendly product. And I want to, you know, meet this standard so that I can be in this store. And, you know, like there's just a, there's, that's very different. I think from, you know, from my perspective, I feel like most of the brands we work with, like it's, they would never even consider working, you know, like putting a product out there that wasn't environmentally conscious or, you know, didn't consider the environment uh, from so many different aspects, not just like toxicity, like that, the thought of toxicity wouldn't even, you know, enter their, their, their atmosphere. Um, But they're thinking more a little bit about sourcing and can I source this sustainably? Can I pay people, you know, a fair wage? Can I, can we source this for the long term and how can we um, do this in a way that's maybe even regenerative? Like that's kind of the, the way that a lot of the brands that I'm working with are thinking about ingredients kind of like beyond, you know, like not putting ingredients that are harmful to the environment is a really low bar for a lot of the brands that I work with. And, uh, and I work with some incredible founders and formulators, you know, true green beauty pioneers. Uh, But for more mainstream, you know, formulations, are people caring about this genuinely? And how are they, how are they coming to you? I have been very lucky that um, most of the brands, all of the brands actually that, that come to me to formulate a product know that I do clean beauty. Um, I don't do anything else. So they know what to expect from me. They are willing to put in the time and the effort it takes to do it right. Um, So most of the brands that I work with do care. They do ask those questions. Um, If they don't, I push them to. And that that does happen, right? But at the same time, I think I think what happens, all brand owners want to do right. They want to, they want a a product that is the best product ever. You know, they want an innovative product. And at the same time, they want to do what's right for the environment and for the health of their consumers. The problem 
I think happens when they don't know what questions to ask and they don't know um, what to look for. Like they, they, they talk about, let's say, you know, biodegradability, but then they don't understand what, what that means. What are you looking for? Biodegradability, especially when in, in this environment, when we don't even know, right. That there's no standards, the FDA has not determined a standard method to determine biodegradability of, of an ingredient. Um, that we don't know what, if somebody says this is biodegradable, what does that even mean? Does it take months to biodegrade? Does it take special environmental con- con- conditions to biodegrade? None of those things have been defined. So um, I think the, I think that the issue comes up when people don't know what questions to ask. Um, but otherwise, I think that all of, for sure, all the brands that I work with are very concerned um, with putting out the best ingredient, best for themselves, best for the health of their consumers and, and the environment as well. Yeah. So what are, so if a, if somebody is, you know, if we have somebody who's wanting to develop a brand and they're going to a formulator uh, or a lab, um, or they're working with somebody right now, maybe they're in the process of working with somebody. What are the questions that, that they should be asking them? What are the questions? So uh, what are the questions for developing a environmentally friendly product? Yeah, like what are like a few questions that they can ask? I think that's one of the things, like I actually have the easy job, right? In these conversations, I just ask the questions of people who know so much more than me. And I feel like that's been... Um, that's been uh, my, really what I do at Beauty Here is I just ask questions and then I get an answer and then I formulate like a response. Like, you know, do I want to care, you know, have this product or have this ingredient at Beauty Heroes? Well, let me ask some questions of some really smart people, get some information and then, you know, decide what feels right to me. And, um, and so much of this is just really asking the right questions. And I feel like that's very true. They don't know what questions to ask. So, you know, I think giving, giving um, a few tools for people to say, Hey, I never even thought of asking a lab this specific question and seeing what they said. And one of the things that's interesting to me um, when we're um, vetting brands is sometimes we ask questions and Oftentimes, not super often, but it happens with some regularity. They don't know the answer about their own brand. And these are not, some of them are not that hard. Uh, The questions aren't that hard. And second, sometimes they'll just not answer because they don't have an answer that they want to provide. And that's a good, that's good information. You don't want to answer the question. (laughs) That's then we're, you know, so that, that works as well. Um, That has worked really well for us. If we ask the question and somebody doesn't answer it, then we can just move on. <laughs> um, but what are the, what, what are a few questions you can ask a lab if you're going um, and you want to like, make sure that your, your brand is really um, environmentally sensitive. Although we went through a lot of good things in this conversation so far that hopefully um, are empowering people to be able to ask some questions, but. Yeah. Great. I mean, um, I really wish that like, one of these days I could come up with a list of questions to like share with the world that these are the things that you need to do, but really it depends on it. There are so many nuances that 
go into uh, the manufacturing of a raw material or manufacturing of a product that you, um, I think it's a lot of brunt on brand owners to, you know, learn all of that along with entrepreneurship, I think. Um, but I, one of the easy things to do whenever you are questioning something is see if a, if a product or a, not a product as a raw material is third party certified. So I did this post recently with um, Lisa on like deciphering different certifications. Um, it's a fantastic resource for formulators and brand owners so they can understand what they are. And I talk about processes and I talk about all of that. So it is very important. Like, let's say if I don't know if an X ingredient is good or not, or you can always tell the lab to use an ingredient that is approved by a third party, like Cosmos or like NSF or, you know, so that will tell you that those third parties have already vetted the ingredient. They've gone through everything to know that the process doesn't involve any petrochemicals. Um, there's no questionable input ingredients in there and that they are sustainable ingredients that you are able to use. So that, that is like first step. Um, but there are so many other nuances, um, Jeannie, that like not necessarily, it depends on like surfactants. Um, I would look at different things versus, you know, uh, if it's oils, I would look at different things versus if it's an extract, I would look at different things. So uh, yeah, not, not, I guess, I don't know. I hope that's helpful to start. Yeah. And I would say brands, um, could hire you to support them through that process. But I know that you're busy and you're, you have a really long uh, waiting list. So uh, that's, that might not be uh, <laughs> possible for um, to have you support them through working with a lab, but that, you know, if you were available, if you did have time in your, um, in your uh, client list, you could work with brands to help support them in these. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you don't have to hire me to ask me a question is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Just ask me a question. I'm happy to answer. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of other people like me. There's a lot of other resources that I can I can also, uh, you know, point you to. But yes, don't rely on your labs if you are not 100% sure if you're getting a feeling that you're not getting the support. There are other resources, but don't give up on, on you know, um, on, on getting the best product and the most sustainable product and that you know is right. Um, for yeah, I would say that's probably really good advice is if you're working with a lab, have somebody independent also with you to work with the lab. The lab might be great and maybe telling you everything that you need to know, but it's nice to have somebody else who's independent from the lab to just sort of verify and maybe, um, you know, because you're investing so much. I have seen it where you're investing, you know, brands have invested so much with a into their brand and they found out later that something that the lab told them maybe wasn't totally complete or they didn't know the right questions to ask. Um, and so, and they wish they had, and now the formula is done and the products out in the market and they now are thinking about reformulating because there's an aspect of it that they want to change. Um, and if they had only known uh, early on, um, Speaking of questions, we've got a couple uh, from the audience that we should just take really quickly. Um, what are the top ingredient categories where we need more alternatives now? You said there's more alternatives than there were 10 years ago, but where can we see some more innovation? Um, polyquats. 
are are definitely one of the things that we need more innovation. And when I say polyquats, I'm not talking about like coronium 15 or anything like any of the preservatives, but um, cationic polymers are um, extremely hard to replace. I feel for, for hair care brands who develop conditioners and who wanted their conditioners to work without quads, it's really hard uh, to do. And definitely, I, I really hope that, and I've told my suppliers this too, like, if you if you come up with a polymer that is cationic, I'll buy tons of it. <laughs> like um, it is, you know, very very hard to formulate a good conditioner that will uh, charge your give your hair the positive charge you need without the uh, quaternary ammonium salts. So uh, that one for sure. Great, thank you. Yeah, that's I agree. Like conditioners are yeah, they are hard. Yeah, very hard. Um, yeah. Um, what is your position? This is a little more of a technical question. Um, what is your position on the GMMS, like the glycols and the, or the GMMs, like the glycols and squalanes that are made from plants and genetically modified yeasts and enzymes? I get it now. <laughs> like science. Talk, you know? like, yes. Um, yes. This is a very fun topic and we could have a webinar about this uh, someday. But um, I actually like them. I, I think they are great, um, mostly because if you think about it, if you think about all the um, investment and sustainability around resources that are saved, the, the labor, the, the uh, agricultural, uh, you know, resources that are that um, are um, almost like palm trees are destroyed in making some of these ingredients versus when they are uh, made from yeasts or um uh synthetic synthetic you know lab uh lab cultivated they are so much more sustainable so i am for them um i do not see any uh, issues with using those ingredients great thank you for the question and thank you for the answer krupa yeah, um, yeah. is there anything <laughs> sorry um, was there anything else that you uh, wanted to share on this topic before we wrap up today? Um, it was really informative. I like to have these conversations be short and give you some good information, you know, as much good information in as short a time as possible. But was there anything else that we didn't cover on environmentally, you know, formulating with environmentally friendly, smart ingredients uh, that you'd like to, to add before we wrap up? Um, not really. I think we covered a lot today, which uh, I'm glad. Thank you, Jeannie. It was great. Um, but no, I, I don't think we've covered enough, I think. Uh, but, but, you know, I will say, um, if you're a brand owner and you have a question, you're working with a lab or you're in a tough spot, feel free to email me to reach out. It's totally fine. And I won't charge you anything to answer a simple question. So, um, yeah, but but please make sure you make the right choices, especially with some some questionable raw material categories that, that don't have to go in your products. Yes, great. Thank you so much, Krupa, for this uh, for this conversation. You've been a great resource for me. I'm so grateful to have to know you and to be able to sometimes run a questionable ingredient by you or a product. Um, so this is uh, I'm you know, thrilled to be able to introduce you to this community and to have this conversation with you. So thanks so much. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from the Blue Beauty series and to meet some of the speakers online, join Beauty Influence Network. Thanks again, and I will see you next time.